Welcome to When There Are No Words, conversations between artists about grief and hope in their work. This series is sponsored by 10 of those, resources that point to Jesus change lives. To support the podcast, get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and other gifts, join us on Acast Plus for as little as £5 a month. Hello and welcome to episode three of When There Are No Words and in this episode I'm chatting with Doug McKelvey um, who has written a lot of stuff and songs and books and he's currently one of the writers for the Wingfeather uh, Saga um, TV series and um, we have this conversation uh, over the span of a few weeks well we have the first part of the conversation at Hutchmoot UK um, and then the very last bit of it um, we have a few weeks later um, separated by many miles um, but it's it's really interesting discussion we talk a lot about Every Moment Holy Volume 2 which is specifically about grief and hope um, but we also talk about his process of writing um, some of his stories uh, for children and um, how these themes wend their way through those uh, and also how he approaches writing in seeking to um, test theological uh, thoughts and ideas. Do stay tuned to the very end of the episode because there will be a big Every Moment Holy Volume 2 giveaway and also halfway through the episode as well we've got our usual um, discount for listeners for particular books so um, stay tuned and uh, here's my conversation with Doug. Hello I'm at Hutchmoot UK 2023 and I'm here with Mr Doug McKelvey. Hello Michael. Um, Doug for those who don't know you do you have a middle name first of all? I do. Do you put that into your because you're a writer so are you a writer who must put their middle initial in? Um, I am pretentious enough that on my books I use my middle name. Excellent. I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. So there we go. Um, tell, tell us a bit about what you do. I do various sorts of writing. Uh, the early part of my career as a writer was primarily as a lyricist in Nashville. Um, so I was co-writing songs. I have done script writing, um, continue to do some of that. And so then you're working on a big project at the moment that some people might have heard about. What are you writing for at the moment? Oh, the Wingfeather wing saga? saga? Yes. Yes, I've, I've been privileged to have been invited to do some of the script writing on that. And there's a, a wonderful team of writers that they've assembled to collaboratively work together those yeah fun so you went from uh lyric writing then nobody bought songs anymore so um true <laughs> you stopped true. doing that <laughs> you had to bring that up again <laughs> not not that is a bugbear of mine at all um and uh, uh and then script writing and then but also books yes um how many how many books have you written a lot more than i've published <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I've written three children's books that are published, I think, and then a middle grade reader novel. Um, then uh, the first two of the Every Moment Holy series that have been published so far. And then I've contributed to other projects, um, Andrew Peterson's Wing Feather Tales, which yes. was uh, a spin-off book of short stories set in the world of Air We Are that he created with his four Wing Feather Saga books. Um, and yeah, I was invited to write a short story for that and ended up writing a novel-length short story <laughs> so, <laughs> accidentally. Yeah, I thought um, I would read it quickly before um, doing this podcast, and I'm not a fast reader, so yeah. I haven't finished it yet. Okay. I will admit that now. Okay, so but I have to avoid through. any spoilers. Yes, yes. <laughs> we could talk about that, yeah. yeah. Um, um, we might talk about the start of it, actually, because um, it feeds into the themes we're going to be talking mm, about. But um, And then there's um, a collection of short stories, a project that Ned Bustard, who's the illustrator for Every Moment Holy, um, he had the idea of doing a book of original stories about Sir Galahad that that would tap into the the Arthurian legends, um, and so he he did wonderful illustrations for a number of of short stories, um, each written by different author, and I was invited to contribute one of those. So so there are some of those fun side projects that I've I've been able to be a part of as well. And how did you get into writing? Is it just something that you've just always wanted to do and you just got on and did it? Or did you have, were you a plumber at some point and, I don't know, scribbling notes and thought, exactly this off? How did you get into it? My journey has been somewhat meandering. I think I, from the time I was a kid, I loved writing. I loved, I mean, words were just a, words and their meanings and the abuse of their meanings was all a playground <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I always knew that whatever I would do, it would involve writing in some form. As an adult, as I began to pursue various writing opportunities vocationally, it, it involved a lot of working temp jobs, you know, yeah. working in a plastics factory, the night shift where it's over 100 degrees in there. Oh. You know, the, there were a whole lot of, of those kind of jobs. And it's been, um, there's been an ebb and flow to it. Mm. Um, for, for a number of years, songwriting was a steadily building royalty-based income that I thought would eventually be my retirement, having a catalog of songs. But then the technology changed and people quit buying music. And within two years' time, I was only making 25% of what I had been. Wow. And realized this, this isn't going to get any better. I'm going to have to find some other avenues to, to pursue to try to pay the bills for my family. It and has to be done. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's had uh, that kind of, uh, you know, there have been varying seasons in in my mm. life as a writer. Yeah, yeah. 
think that's common across uh, the world of artists. Um, so this podcast is about art that explores grief and mm. hope. Um, and those things clearly wend their way through your writing and uh, see it in your writing for adults and your writing for children. Um, what draws you to those themes? What draws you to be writing about that? I think that for me, writing, that's the place where I wrestle with and come to understand what it is that I actually believe about something. My wife might ask me what I think about a, a certain topic, and my response will be, I don't know, I haven't written about it. <laughs> yeah. So writing for me, while it's something that I'm, I, I'm compelled to do, I'm, I'm drawn to it, it's also not an easy thing. It, writing is a struggle for me. And because it's about building and articulating, it's about a journey inside myself and weighing, you know, all of my different impulses and thoughts against, um, you know, what I, what I believe to be true. And it also becomes, for me, a proving ground, I think. And, and, and to, to answer your question more directly of, of why I tend to go those places in my writings where, where there are these journeys through um, hard losses for, for the characters, or even in every moment holy, when I have prayers for nights and days of doubt or for those fearing failure. I, I see that as being the same thing I'm, I'm doing in fiction, where as in the story that you just referenced from Wingfeather Tales, which is called The Places Beyond the Maps, it begins um, with a father sitting in the aftermath of his daughter just having been abducted. And he had failed to judge the situation rightly and to act when he might have had the opportunity to. So that's where his journey begins in, in that story. And there, there's a very real sense for me that, that if I'm writing a story, I don't presuppose what the end is going to be because to me, this is this is like working out a geometric or in, in geometry. You know, it's it's doing a proof. Okay, <laughs> I'm saying, okay, here are the things that I subscribe to theologically. Here's what I would say. You know, I, I make this confession. I believe this to be true. Does this hold up in the worst kind of situations that human beings experience? In the worst of what I have experienced or might yet experience in my life? Mm. Would this gospel that I say is true, would it actually offer hope <laughs> if I were in this situation? And so I'm vicariously making a journey through the protagonist in a story. Mm. And for me, it's, it's one that I'm you know, it's, it's going to be a journey into some darkness and storm and loss. And that's me 
as the author asking the question, mm. is, is there something here? Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a verse in Deuteronomy where uh, Moses writes um, about the Lord and uses the, uses the term the everlasting arms. And I, I, love the, I love the poetry of that image but there's that that question for me that that I'm exploring when I write of hey underneath this underneath this horrible situation are there everlasting arms that are yet holding us in a way that that we in the moment might not see mm. and so you get to the end of the story and if it's if it's cohesive and makes sense and works out then yeah you can answer yes that that happens. That's a fascinating process. Um, how do you, uh, as as you're writing, how much are you thinking about the readers? And because uh, you talk a lot about it being a process for you personally, how much then are you thinking? Okay, how are they going to read this? Am I? Do you do you end up changing anything, or is it purely this journey and recognizing that it's a probably one that's going to be shared by many? that's where it's going to connect. Yeah, how much does the audience uh, impact your writing? With that kind of writing, I probably don't think a lot about the audience as I'm writing. I tend to trust the process that if, if I navigate this journey in a way that feels authentic, to my own experience, to my own emotion, I have a level of trust that that there's something that will resonate mm -hmm. with other people as well. And even when I've written children's books, I tend not to really be thinking about the audience because I... I think the best children's books are ones that adults will find meaning in yes. as well. Will will appreciate the the beauty of of the the language the and the the story. So I I've never been able to 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 very successfully narrow down parameters in my mind. To say, okay, here's this audience I'm writing for. Yeah. I, yeah. I really just want to write something that, um, you know, my hope is that that people of a wide range of ages would be able to connect with it mm -hmm. and find it significant. And a number of times I've been asked to write an every moment holy for kids, mm. and it's possible that that I will at some point do something along those lines but I've been resistant up to this point because I remember as a child there were things I would be presented with there would be books that felt very patronizing mm -hmm. because this was an adult's idea of okay we're going to speak down to the children now and I had a pretty good, um, you know, radar detector in place <laughs> as a kid to 
to recognize that kind of tone. But there were things that I was presented with sometimes that invited me into the adult world in a way where it was an invitation to consider a wider world or something more significant than than maybe I had previously and where space was made for me as a child in a more significant conversation mm. and that that meant something to me even when I might not yet have the experience or the complexity of thought to be able to fully understand it yeah. I was still welcomed into it right and so that was part of my vision for every moment holy was I wanted this to be something that families would use and that there would be children who would grow up with their family utilizing certain of these prayers, incorporating them into the rhythm of their lives mm -hmm. so that at a certain point it might be the child who would say, oh, can we, you know, can we do the the prayer for that? Our electricity just went out. Can we? There's a <laughs> yeah. Well, I see, and uh, I mean, so I do a lot of kids' uh, music and drama and things. And a big thing behind what I do is is the idea that kids grow into truth. Because mm. um, I think you're right. Some people think, okay, in in trying to do things for kids, it's somehow dumbing down or taking it to a particular level. Whereas I think actually you can fill kids' hearts with. Those are truth that they don't fully get yet mm -hmm. because of their experience. But you're giving them language that when they hit the experience, that, oh, okay, right now I get this, what that thing that was implanted in my heart is about right. because it's just met with experience and it suddenly comes alive. And that was my experience as a kid. Um, you know, I'd been taught the gospel. I knew all about Jesus dying on the cross. And then I think I was about 10 years old and suddenly it just, it just hit with a point in my life where it went, oh, wow. Okay, all that knowledge, now it's real mm. and feels real and I get it. So, yes, I think there's, there's a real place, a really important place for giving kids that vocabulary that might seem above them, but they're going to grow into that. Right. Um, and I think that that process continues for us as adults, right? Yes. That there are phrases that after a particular season in life that I hadn't encountered before, I come across that phrase again that, you know, I've been familiar with for 30 years, and it's like suddenly I've lived into it. Yes. And it means something in a way that it, it didn't before. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I th I think you've, you described that process really well for, for kids, but I think it, it is an ongoing yeah. process of just, you know, um, a friend of mine who um, used to do well he still makes some records but um, he he used to be better known than he is now. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully he's not listening <laughs> um, but he had a, a song that the the hook line of the chorus was we can only possess what we experience okay and Back then, decades ago, when he wrote it and I heard it, even that line didn't really connect. Yeah. And I had never thought of it again until just now as we're talking. Yeah. 
that line came to my mind and I thought, oh, well, it's, <laughs> yes, it is, it's a way of saying exactly what we're saying, yeah. but it's also an example of a truth that when I heard that decades ago, even as a young adult, I didn't really grasp what it meant. And only just now in this moment when that line came back to me, You've could I it. process it and say, okay, yeah, I, I get exactly what you he was saying the now. Phrase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. I want to um, move on to Every Moment Holy, mm-hmm. volume two, um, because it's explicitly about grief and hope. Um, and uh, so for listeners who haven't come across it yet, um, hopefully after this, they will go out and buy it. Can you tell us what Every Moment Holy as uh, as a whole um, project is, uh, is about and why you came to write this second volume? Sure. As a project, Every Moment Holy is about creating prayers, um, sometimes in, in liturgical format, other times just a prayer that an individual might pray on their own. But these are, these are prayers for everyday moments of life. So they were intended to be utilitarian in that, that I always wanted these to be prayers that people actually could incorporate into the rhythms of their lives that might be helpful, um, especially in unpacking and articulating what might be happening in the heart of a person that they might not even have language for in a specific moment. But it was also, for me, an exercise in saying, okay, I believe that God is the God over every, that he's sovereign over every moment, over every experience in life, that there's not a divide between the sacred and the secular, that the way that I treat my spouse when, when I'm you know, short on sleep um, and the time that I spend you know, kicking a, a soccer ball or, f- or football, football. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with one of my kids, um, you know, that those are as much a part of living life as an ongoing act of worship as the time that I spend in church singing a song of worship. So if I theoretically believe that that's true, can I look at some specific moments of life and unpack and articulate some of those connections of, okay, if I'm going to write a prayer, a liturgy for changing a diaper or a nappy. nappy. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting good at this. Yeah. How does that moment actually sit in the context of eternity Mm. and the redemptive movement of God through history. Mm. Can I make some of those connections and articulate that in a way that a young mother or father, as they're changing the nappy, can, can find in that very mundane moment that might have to, to be repeated many times a day for several years. Mm -hmm. Can I help to reframe that moment for them in a way that is actually truer? Mm -hmm. So 
so as a whole, the Every Moment Holy books are in one way an attempt to do that, to say, can, can we connect these dots from everyday moments, from the preparation of a meal or doing laundry or the experience of something like for um, days and nights of doubt, you know, for seasons that, w- that we might go through and, and various struggles. Can we place those in the context of a, of a prayer into that eternal context and, and articulate from the inside of the experience, um, name, name the truth of, of, of what's happening there. So there's another of you trying to work out, okay, if I believe this, can I do it? Right. Love it. Right. Editor Michael here. Sorry, a quick pause to the conversation to remind you about some discounts that you can get as uh, listeners to the podcast. These are courtesy of our sponsors, 10 of those. Um, We've got two books at the moment that you can get a discount on, 30% off both of them. The first is Andrew Peterson's Adorning the Dark. We talked about it in the very first episode. Um, If you haven't heard that yet, go back and have a listen. A wonderful book, really fascinating insight into um, the songwriter's craft um, and uh, Andrew's theology and thought about um, uh, being an artist. Uh, It's great for artists. It's great for you if you don't think you're an artist, because I think you'll discover that um, you are. Um, So you can get 30% off that book. Well worth doing. Um, You just need to go to the 10 of those website, find Adorning the Dark, or use the link in the show notes, and pop in the code, no words, AP23. That's no words, lowercase, AP, capitals, 23. Put that into the basket you'll get 30% off. And then, if that isn't enough for you, you can also get um, the book Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, um, which is all about lament, which we have been talking about and the importance of it. I talk a little bit about that in episode two. Uh, The code to use for that is no words, again, lowercase, SG, so capitals SG23. These are all in the show notes as well. But please go make use of that um, over at the 10 of those website and stick around to the very end of the podcast um, after the song because we are giving away three copies of Every Moment Holy. Yes, three copies of Every Moment Holy. It will be well worth you getting your hands on those. Um, But stick around to the end of the episode to find out how you can win one of those books. Right, on with the conversation. Then what took you to writing volume two about mm. grief and hope, or uh, sorry, death, grief and hope? Yes. There was a deadline with volume one for when the the publisher needed to send it to the printer, and in the the weeks leading up to that deadline, I was trying to finish as many prayers as I could. I had a long list of potential topics, but I knew I didn't have much bandwidth to to launch into any significant new topics that were going to take a lot of a lot of revising and multiple drafts. And 
One of the prayers that was on the list to potentially write was one for the morning of a funeral. The idea being that it would be a prayer for those who are sitting in that immediate aftermath of having lost a loved one, a friend, and dealing with that that first surge of shock and, and grief over a loss. But I was... I was very emotionally spent as I came to the end of that year-long process of writing volume one, Mm. and I just couldn't start that prayer. So when I finished the manuscript and it was sent to the printer, I already knew, even before the first book was published, that that was the gaping hole in it. Okay. (laughs) That there was... There is a prayer in Volume 1 for a liturgy for the anniversary of a loss. Yeah. But that was the closest that I, I came to addressing that grief. So a bit more from a distance. I didn't... I, I needed a year to recover after writing Volume 1. Yeah. So I didn't try to write any more prayers for a year. But after a year... I was I was back in a space emotionally where where I felt ready to to start writing again. And at that point there was no plan for a volume 2, but I thought, well I want to write this prayer for the morning of a funeral. We can put it on the website, offer it for free as a PDF download to people. So at least it's it's available as a resource. And if we ever do a volume two, then we could include it mm. in that book. So I started working on that prayer. And after a few days of working on it, it was 10 pages long. Wow. I knew from the process of writing volume one that that was much too long. So I needed to cut some of it. As I, as I went through it to look at what I might cut, there was nothing I felt like I could get rid of. So then I, I knew, okay, I have more than one prayer here. I just need to divide this up into more nuanced mm. sections. So that actually turned into five different prayers, I think. And some of those, as I continued to work on them, began to subdivide wow. into others. <laughs> and, and then I thought, well, I should probably think about writing a prayer for caregivers that as, you know, as, as a loved one is going through that process of their final months or weeks, um, it, it would be good to have a resource, a prayer for those who are spending their time tending mm. someone. And then I thought, well, what about for the person who's dying? They could probably use yep. <laughs> some, some prayers that would help to articulate mm. just some of those nuances of what it means to, as a follower of Jesus, to face that reality that, okay, my doctor has given me three to six months to live. Mm-hmm. So I began to ask those questions of what, what would that person need? 
so at this point, I, I went to my publisher, Rabbit Room Press, and I said, I think this is its own book. But because it's topically focused, I think it can be a smaller book. Maybe it's maybe it's thirty prayers. <laughs> <laughs> We're just looking at it. If you've not seen it, it's the same size as the. Actually, version. it's seventy pages longer okay. than oh, volume wow. one. It's worth it. So that then began what what ended up being a two year process of writing volume two. I missed so many print deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> There was this constant harassment from my publisher (laughs) saying, okay, we need it by this day. And we would get close to that day, and I would tell them, it's not finished. It's just not. And and I wanted so much to be finished with the process. Mm. But at a certain point, I just had to surrender to it and make peace with the fact that I can't rush this. It will be finished when it is finished. Yeah. And I don't know when that will be. Yeah. I just have to keep serving these prayers and, you know, in in hopes of serving people through these prayers. And we can't we can't rush this. We can't just you know, set an arbitrary deadline and say that when we reach this point, whatever content we have is what the book is. It's one of the most significant things I've ever read. Mm. And um, it's, it, I, yeah, I'm glad you did that. Mm. I'm glad you kept going with it until it was ready. Um, because it's, well, I, I'll go on to that, because it covers so many aspects. What astounds me is you've somehow, uh, you speak into just every angle um, of, of, of even leading up to death, um, the, gr- the grieving process, uh, and so on. Um, for me as a writer, uh, what plays on my mind a lot is not only telling telling my story, but also stewarding the stories of others. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, surely you haven't gone through all of that. Or maybe you have. So I wondered, what was the process of going outside of your mm. experience and yourself? into imagination or was it uh, uh, talking to other people gathering their stories um how did how did you go about writing such a breadth of prayers i did go into the writing of volume two with a lot of fear and trembling Mm. because i i had a sense that this was a book that i needed to invest a chunk of my life into writing but I also knew that I had no business writing about some of these very significant losses that I have not personally experienced. Mm. Right? There were there are a number of things that I've written prayers for in the book that I have experienced. Like my my wife and I suffered two miscarriages, mm. so you know that I could draw from our experience as I wrote but we haven't lost a child you know we haven't lost a six-year-old so I knew from the beginning that community was going to be very important in the shaping of this book and that there were certain prayers 
that would require the input, the, the voices of other people who had walked through or who were in the process of walking through some of these very significant kinds of losses, weighing in on, uh, on what I was writing, um, mm -hmm. telling me where I was getting it wrong, where, you know, that, like, th there's one, actually there are two prayers related to a loss of someone through suicide. Mm. And there were, there were multiple people who had lost loved ones to suicide who read the drafts of those prayers and, and gave me feedback. And some of it was, you know, this, this would actually be hurtful. Wow. You know, that I'm imagining if my mom read this in relation to the loss of her son, you know, it was a, a woman's brother who had, who had died. Um, she said she would just shut down. She would quit reading it at that point because it, it feels like it could be interpreted as accusatory in a way that she's going to feel protective yeah. of him. And... But that part of the prayer that I had added there was because of interaction with a woman whose husband had committed suicide. Wow. And she felt so abandoned by him. And then for, for their kids who were, you know, young teenagers at the time, I mean, what it meant to, to her children for their father to have chosen not to be there for the rest of their lives, you know, for their high school graduation, for their weddings, for um, that there was a very different sense from someone whose 13-year-old son in a moment of angry emotion yeah. committed suicide. So, so it... There were some very complex and nuanced situations that had to be addressed that even one person's experience of this kind of loss was very different from another person's. And so uh, in that particular case, it led me to the understanding that, okay, we really need two prayers here because there, uh, we need a prayer for those who feel abandoned by someone who's chosen suicide. And then we need this this other prayer for those who are, you know, who don't have that sense because it wasn't someone in their life that they were depending on, mm -hmm. right? But it's mm -hmm. just, this, just this loss that they, you know, there's confusion, but there's not, there's not the anger that they have to yeah. deal with. Yeah. And they don't need, in the context of a prayer, to have to be working through parts about, anger that don't apply to them and right. to, there's a there's a few times there's a couple of prayers from slightly different angles yeah um, with that yes yeah, yeah and and so for the the one for the loss of a child not related to, to suicide but just for the loss of a child that was one that that i saw from the you know from the start of the project it's like oh there's there's Mount Everest <laughs> that at some point I have to start 
climbing that one. But there was um, an acquaintance of mine uh, contacted me and said, there's this woman in my church that I'm close friends with. Um, A few days ago, she lost her husband and two of her daughters in a, to a fire in their barn. Wow. Um, wow. And Every Moment Holy Volume 1 was a significant book for their family. Um, I heard that you were working on this volume, too, about death, grief, and hope. Do you have any prayer that you could send to us that, that we could use in the memorial service? So I sent a, a couple different prayers. They, you know, they were drafts, um, you know, weren't even the final versions that ended up in the book. But they used one of those in the memorial service. And then a couple weeks later, the woman who had lost her husband and daughters contacted me just to say thank you. And, and then we began corresponding um, and for the next year, on consistently on a weekly basis, sometimes even multiple times in a week, she she so graciously just opened up her journey of that first year. Wow. I mean, so starting from very early on in just the, the shock and the loss and the grief, but she gave me an ongoing window into what she was dealing with. Mm. She had um, three other surviving children that, you know, she's now a single mom with with three kids and and trying to navigate this space of grief. And so there were a number of prayers that came directly from her saying – hey, this happened to me this week, and I sure could use a prayer for it. You know, I'm having, I'm, I'm starting to have trouble with um, just some of the things people are saying to me mm. that strike me as so thoughtless, and I wish that I had a prayer to go to that would help me to articulate that, those knots of feelings that suddenly, you know, that I want to just burst out at them angrily, but I know that they mean well. Um, Or, um, you know, close to a year after her loss, she she said, I think I'm I'm ready to take off my wedding ring, but I want to, that's a very significant moment, and I want to mark that. Could you write a prayer? Wow. for that. So, you know, some of some of those kinds of inputs from the community of those who were walking through loss and and grief as I was writing this were so profoundly helpful in shaping the book. And the, the specific prayers, because I would I would write a draft of a prayer and send it to someone like her, and she would read it and tell me, okay, these parts are are working, but you know I kind of feel like I would want to say something about 
this. So I would go back and, and add those parts. And, um, and the one, uh, the one for the loss of a child, um, that required input from multiple people who had experienced the loss of a child um, to really shape that one. And I knew it could not go into the finished pile until all of these people were signing off on it and saying, wow. yes, that is articulating mm. you know, what, what we went through and this would have been helpful mm. oh, that's to wonderful. us at that time. And again, so that you spent the time doing that and the hard work to get it right. So um, the recording might sound a little bit different now because um, we are no longer sitting a few feet from each other at Hutchmoot UK and we are now separated by many miles i'm not sure how many thousands of miles um but uh but but we're back um just wanted to finish off the conversation um here with doug and i've got a couple more things um before we round off and a very exciting giveaway as well at the end of the episode um so stay tuned um doug i love it when art that we create um uh, that we created perhaps to say something to other people then speaks back to us and and sometimes that happens in ways that we don't expect but i was just wondering if there were any parts of every moment holy that maybe when you were writing um or perhaps afterwards particularly spoke to you or helped you navigate your own griefs and losses it's hmm. a good question with volume two there were, of course, a, a lot of subjects that I wrote about that I didn't have firsthand experience of. Um, and I think we talked about that previously. It's been mm. it's been a while now, so I don't remember what we covered. It's been a few seconds for the listeners and uh, yeah. a few weeks for us. Right. <laughs> um, the day that I was finishing the manuscript for volume two, going through making any last changes and edits, I received a phone call from one of my best friends and he was obviously distraught. Um, and he told me that another close friend of ours had just died unexpectedly a heart attack so that afternoon as I finished the manuscript for volume two it was through tears I mean there were literally tear stains on the pages that I was going through and editing and I had just spent the previous two years writing the book writing about death and grief and hope. So as I finished the book in that moment, there was, how should I say it? It was a very real proving ground for the truth of the things that I had been writing about, sometimes abstractly, or at least 
with a distance of some years from, you know, experiences of loss that I might have had. But this was in the moment as I finished the book, a moment when everything I had been writing about, all these promises, all these hopes that I was claiming were stronger than the grief and the loss, um, mm -hmm. and that I was claiming, you know, these are the things that will have the final word, that Christ mm -hmm. will have the final word, that resurrection will have the final word, that the redemption and the renewal of all things will have the final word. And though I was grieving and weeping throughout that afternoon as I worked, it was with such a tangible sense of hope. And hmm. it, it, it was a moment when the veil felt thin in that, yes, I was grieving, but I also was so certain that my friend Jay had just stepped into the reality of what I can only dream about on this side of, of, of what is to come. So in answer to your question, that experience, it's, it's not about one prayer in particular, but just about the totality of, of having for two years wrestled with what is our hope? Can it hold us? Do what do what do we believe? What does God reveal in Scripture that can truly offer comfort to us in these seasons of our own decline and dying, in these seasons of our grief over the decline of people that we love and and the loss of them? And what I found in that moment was that. You know, this is a, a diamond hard foundation that, yeah, there are times when we feel like we're sinking, but there's a place that our feet hit and we sink no further, that, that these promises do hold us, that they do hold up, that they do hold true, and that there is great comfort in them and that that indeed, as followers of Jesus, looking toward his coming kingdom and that great redemption, that we are freed to, at the same time, fully embrace the sorrow and give ourselves to that, and to feel the joy and the hope of what is to come, and that those things can coexist and that they should coexist, mm. and that neither one cancels out the other. So mm. that's that's the biggest... Um, okay, now I've started a sentence, and I don't even know how I could land it. <laughs> that's, <yeah. laughs> that's fine. That's... I, oh, goodness, I can associate with so much of that. Um, 
I, I've said many times to people that the gospel never felt so real as it did in the six weeks leading up to my dad's death, mm-hmm. um, because that's what we were clinging, clinging on to. And it did, it was hope coexisting with deep pain. And I felt I mourned a lot before dad died because I knew it was coming. Right. Um, and, but, but the two, the two somehow lived together in that. And I don't know whether the two made made each other more acute in a sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Knowing that all things would be put right, that this is not right how it is now, but it will be put right. Mm. And dad, dad. So dad was a vicar, and uh, he he said this just uh, before dying that he had um, he'd always said to his curates that um, their job and his job was to help people. Uh, prepare people to die well that that was their job to prepare people to die well mm. and he was just conscious that uh if that's what he'd been doing most of his life he needed to die well <laughs> and because that's where it's proved like you say in those deepest darkest moments that's where the truth of the gospel is proved and it was a privilege to watch it being proved with dad mm. uh, in that um a, a, a beautiful thing as well as being an incredibly painful right, thing. Right, right. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Doug. It's been a fascinating conversation, even if we have had a few weeks for us in between <laughs> different parts of it. Um, but I'd love it um, if you would read one of the liturgies for us. Um, lovely to hear it in your voice. And... Um, yeah, which which one are you going to read? A liturgy for the living of last things. I know that I am not long for this world, O Lord, that I am even now perhaps already living a litany of last things, some long since completed before I even knew to name them so. Last conversations with all the people I've known, Last times reading beloved books or watching favorite films. Last celebrations of birthdays and holidays. Last outings to places I delighted in. Last enjoyment of spring flowers or autumn leaves. Last times savoring various favorite foods. A last time seeing the tossing of the ocean or the splendor of mountains or feeling the joyful homesick ache engendered by a return trip to my childhood home. Soon there will be a last sunrise seen and a last sunset met, a last marveling at the moon or wondering at the stars, a last awareness of the color blue, a last weeping, a last grief, a last commiseration, a last joke. A last shared laughter, a last song heard or sung, a last story told, a last visitor, a last conversation, a last I love you, a last hand held, that final squeeze, a last goodbye, a last letting go, and then that first hello. That first opening of my eyes in a place I've never seen but have always known as home. And there, O my King and my Christ, is where the real wonder begins.
Yes, in dying, I must first release everything that I have stewarded or enjoyed in this life, for I cannot seek to hold any of the things of this world without also somehow corrupting my affections for them. They have been temporary gifts, foreshadowings of greater glories and richer joys. For when this world is remade, and I walk again in a renewed creation, all of these last things that I now grieve will be somehow redeemed and restored to me in their truer, better forms. So let me see with a more penetrating gaze even now, O God, those holy, eternal aspects embedded in every good thing to which I must bid goodbye. Friendships, family, places of belonging, vocation, rhythms of work, rest, and play, your glad creation expressed in rivers, fields, forests, and flowers, deep caverns and bright constellations, the vast array of creatures, the varied aromas and tastes of foods, the pleasure of shared meals, of good stories, of warming fires and long walks, of music and song, of scholarship and knowledge, and the limits of knowledge, of wonder and mystery, of physical delights, of parties and merriment and laughter, of the numberless joys and beauties embedded in this mortal existence, this physical world, this brief passage through time. For now I must relax my grip and relinquish my claim to each of these. Of all good things I have known in this life, Jesus, it is you alone that I might embrace into and through my very death. You are my constant. You are the one thing I need never release nor bid goodbye. And you alone are sufficient to my every need. For you have already been through this, through this willing laying down of all things at your death that you might attain instead the unfading joys set before you. And you will remain with me as I follow the trail you blazed, as I also pass from life to death to life, as the last of these last things gives way to the first of those first things of eternity. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, um, Doug. Um, where can people find more of what you do? You can find most of my books at dougmckelvey.com. McKelvey is M-C-K-E-L-V-E-Y. We'll have the link in the show notes. Um, so thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you for having me, Michael. I appreciated the conversation. term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, for the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. As I walk through that gate, who will shade my eyes? As the world is
explodes in extraordinary light. Who will tune my ears to the sounds unheard? The glorious barrage of beauty unbounded from the earth. I will go to that tree by the sparkling. Life to all who shelter underneath. I will trace my path through the wood and ravines. Feel the stories woven deep, all the joys and all the pains, every tear and every laugh. Revealed every tear and every rip, every broken heart is healed. I'll see trepid feet approach, wide-eyed wanderers believe. With trembling hands out cupped, for they're ready to receive. And I'll see the Father's smile. I'll feel his warm embrace. I will know that I am loved. I will know that I am safe. No more night and no more pain. Blows my mind, shakes my frame, and it sends through me pure shivers of joy. And it sends through me pure shivers of joy. And it sends through me. Shivers of joy, and it sends through me pure shivers of joy, and it sends through me pure shivers of joy, and it blows my fears away. Chapter One of the Great Story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Well, that was a fascinating discussion, and if our conversation about Every Moment Holy has got you wanting to read more, you can actually win a copy, courtesy of ten of those. We are giving away three copies of Every Moment Holy Volume Two.、Um, hopefully, you know the drill by now. All you need to do is share the podcast on social media. Make sure you tag at Michael J Tinker because otherwise, I won't know that you've shared it, and I won't be able to enter you into the prize draw.、Um, but share it. Maybe say something about it that you've enjoyed, and.、Um, Tag Michael J Tinker, and you'll go into the prize draw, and we will announce、uh, the winner before、um, episode six in a couple of weeks' time. So、um, go ahead and share now, and be in with a chance of winning a copy of Every Moment Holy, Volume Two. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.
Thank you for listening to When There Are No Words. Remember, you can support the show on Acast Plus, where you'll get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and other gifts. See you next time.